The powers that be claim that only 7% of the meaning of human communication is conveyed via text. Without tone and nonverbal cues, emotion is lost. Yet many of us send text messages incessantly, making plans, joking around, group texts with family. We dash them off without a thought. Yet, could those messages we send be more powerful than we think? Could words on a digital screen be enough to make you think life isn't worth living anymore? My name is M. William Phelps. I'm an investigative journalist and true crime author. I've dedicated the past 20 years of my life to helping families of the missing and murdered. Join me. We're crossing the line. It's July 13, 2014, early evening, not yet fully dark out. 18-year-old Conrad Roy III sits in his truck, parked in the lot of a Kmart. This is Fairhaven, Massachusetts, the next town heading east from New Bedford, both of which are seaside communities butting up against Buzzards Bay. Fairhaven is kind of working class, mostly white, a fishing town, poster child New England stuff. Think a movie with Casey Affleck and you get the picture. Conrad is a good-looking kid, buzz-cut brown hair, physically fit, a die-hard Red Sox fan, a baseball standout himself, and an honor roll student. He's worked with his grandfather and dad in the family business, a maritime salvage company, since high school. By the time he turns 17 in 2013, Conrad has earned his captain's license from the Northeast Maritime Institute. Not an easy task to accomplish at such a young age. He graduated from Old Rochester Regional High with a 3.9 GPA, and Fitchburg State University has accepted Conrad's application. He wants to go into business and finance, but decides at the last minute He's not ready for college and puts it off. As Conrad sits in his truck that night, he's also struggling with social anxiety and depression. And many kids his age can relate to this. Hell, they're things most of us any age could relate to. Conrad has been prone to depression for many years. Anyone who knows him says he's a gifted kid, often a happy kid with some vigor for life, Yet lately, mental illness has gotten a stranglehold on him. Yeah, so many of us suffer from mental illness, depression, anxiety. We have to take it more seriously. I mean, I know, you know, I've had bouts of depression. I have chronic anxiety. I hear you. I've struggled with it myself for many, many years. Mm -hmm. And that's the voice of my anxious producer on CTL, (laughs) Catherine Law. For Conrad, things are about as bad as they can be. Parked in the Kmart lot on that hot summer evening, Conrad gets out of his truck, places a hose near the tailpipe of a gasoline-powered water pump in the bed of his pickup. The other end of it poked through a cracked window. He then gets back into the vehicle and... This is so hard to listen to. Yes. Sadly, the cab of the truck fills with carbon monoxide and within 20 minutes, while still wearing his sunglasses... 
Conrad dies. Unfortunately, this is an all-too-familiar story. One way or another, it takes place 132 times a day in the United States. But unlike most suicides, where family and friends are left to quietly mourn a terrible and confusing loss, the events surrounding Conrad's death create a media firestorm that we're still seeing in headlines today. At the time of his death, Conrad was living half the time with his mother in Fairhaven and the other half with his dad in Mattapoisett. According to a Harvard Law School brief about the case, Conrad had tried to take his own life on many occasions by various means prior to his death. Over-the-counter medication didn't work. Drowning himself couldn't do it. He tried water poisoning, also known as water intoxication, a condition that occurs from drinking too much water, upsetting the electrolyte balances in your system. He even tried suffocating himself. All had failed because Conrad either sought help to rescue himself or abandoned the attempt. I mean, even when there's a will, the body wants to stay alive. There's a reason it's so difficult to go through with this stuff. Right, right. You know, maybe there's also an indication here that he didn't actually want to die. What do you think, Phelps? I think you're right. You know, I don't think he wanted to die. I just think he had nowhere else to go. We've all heard the common language here that if somebody really wants to die by suicide, they will find a way. And Conrad, on that night in his truck, he sadly found his way. The question becomes, though, what was different this time? Let's take a step back one year. In 2012, Conrad meets Michelle Carter while they're both vacationing with their families in Florida. <laughs> Florida. Here we go again. <laughs> they just happened to bump into each other and soon realized they didn't live far apart back in New England. Michelle is fit with blue eyes, dirty blonde hair, an attractive young girl who Conrad is taken by. And one thing they share, something that bonds them almost immediately, is depression. They both struggle with it. They understand each other, I think. They can relate, feel seen and heard, which can mean everything to a teenager. Michelle is a senior at King Philip Regional High School in Rentham, Massachusetts, but lives in Plainville, about an hour northeast of Fairhaven. Her family calls her, quote, a quiet, kind, and sympathetic young girl who is immensely dedicated to helping Conrad talk about his personal struggle with suicide and his battle with depression. But some former friends say Michelle is prone to crying wolf and seeking attention. I'm sorry, but when you're 17 in high school, if you ask 10 different people about one person, you will get 10 different versions of who that person supposedly is. I mean, that is so true. And with social media today. Oh, yeah. A social environment that never turns off. My God. I'm so glad I grew up before that. And a teen's life and what you have is really not a realistic picture of who any child is if you're relying on social media and texting. We've been down this road before on Crossing the Line with that Slenderman case, episode number 26. Mm -hmm. The internet and social media can wreak havoc on a child's life. We know this. It's an issue we skirt under the rug and refuse to talk about openly with any sort of resolution in mind. Totally. And even those who are talking about it don't actually have a solution. Conrad and Michelle begin texting quite frequently after meeting in Florida. After all, they're still a long-distance couple. There's about an hour's drive 
between them. So they can't meet each other that often in person. Their entire relationship, which is romantic, but not yet sexual, is grounded in a digital world. And I think this is an important part of this case to unpack a little. Things move much faster when you can say things in a text and not in person or on the phone, either escalating a situation romantically or initiating an argument. Some people tend to be more bold and more open to saying things they wouldn't generally say while looking someone in the eyes. I mean, we we know this stuff, right? It's the nature of hiding your insecurities behind a digital screen. I mean, if Catfish has taught us anything, it's that you can hide everything behind a screen. And romantically speaking, I mean, you can really exacerbate a relationship texting, mm-hmm. right? You can mm-hmm. speed it up. Conrad and Michelle's texts, which, as you'll learn, are now a matter of public record, are extremely intense and focused on heavy subjects, mainly Conrad's depression and suicide attempts and Michelle's battle with an eating disorder. Of course, everything's more intense when you're a teenager. Your feelings are so big and overwhelming. And these two don't even realize this relationship has become totally toxic. I mean, this is what happens when two teens struggling with serious mental illnesses send thousands of texts to each other over the course of a year or two. By 2014, when Conrad takes his own life, they have only seen each other in person just a handful of times, which his mother says was five in total. Okay, that's very important, I think. Friends of Michelle's later speculate that they believe she had a hard time with being totally truthful about things in her non-digital life. She seemed to be nice and outgoing, but also required a lot of reassurance and thrived on the attention she got from being with Conrad. Something happens leading up to Conrad's suicide that could have, and I want to underscore could have prevented him from following through with it. And in a case like this, a lot hangs on perception. What is the actual truth? When we come back, we'll discover whether that so-called truth is enough to initiate a charge of voluntary manslaughter, where one person has enough power, enough control over another person to convince them they are better off dead. This is Conrad Henry Roy III reporting about social anxiety. Social anxiety to me is the inability to function properly in a manner that you want to in social situations. And one of the things that I've realized is not all eyes are on you at all times. People don't necessarily judge you particularly in a situation where you're not feeling very good about yourself. Uh, You're making mistakes, right? People understand that you come across as awkward. They're not going to judge you and make fun of you. Like that's just who you are. The hardest thing for me is to be comfortable in my own skin. Now I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. A lot of people tell me, a lot of people tell me that I have a lot going for me. 
I have to be happy. I have to be happy. Well, no, you don't have to be happy. Your happiness comes from your conscious thoughts and well-being. It's you create your own happiness because depression. It can mean you don't like yourself. And the sooner I like myself, the better I'm going to be. Those are excerpts that Conrad posted on social media one month before his death. He is trying to work things out. He is opening up about what he's going through. After his death, Michelle Carter blazes onto the scene of his family and friends' lives. She wants to be involved in anything having to do with honoring him. Police reports conclude that several of Conrad's closest friends claimed to not even have known he was dating Michelle and that he never talked about her. The truth is, they had been dating. It was a close, intense relationship. Whether Conrad shared those feelings with his friends is really irrelevant, I feel. I think there's a case to be made that boys especially might open up about something as vulnerable as mental illness to a girlfriend, but not to their guy friends. One of Conrad's friends tells police he felt kind of cornered or forced into adding Michelle as an organizer on a Facebook page dedicated to a Conrad fundraiser because Michelle felt slighted and bothered by not being publicly part of it. All right? So, did she do this because she cared for the boy, wanting to bring about awareness to suicide and depression, or did she act narcissistically and want to look good and take credit for being a positive part of his life? That becomes a question. We don't know. It feels like a young girl confused, upset, sad, trying to figure out how to deal with her emotions after someone she knew better than most took his own life. And she feels guilty about it in some respects. But again, my judgment here is only a guess. Catherine, why don't you just read a quote from me? She did help organize a fundraiser in his honor, in his name, to call attention both to his plight and others in his predicament. Michelle's attorney, Joseph Cataldo, says, but she was not seeking attention for herself or any kind of personal gain. Speaking for Michelle Carter's family, the attorney adds this. For everyone that does not know our daughter, she is not the villain the media is portraying her to be. But how did we get here to the point where Michelle's family has to have an attorney speak on their behalf? A month before Conrad's death, Michelle plans to go to McLean Hospital in Belmont, Massachusetts. For her eating disorder? Yes. According to an appellate court document, Commonwealth versus Carter, at this time, Michelle is well aware of Conrad's, quote, fragile emotional state and is urging him to seek professional help for his mental illness. Now, those are direct quotes from the document. Prior to his death, Things are apparently looking up. The troubled teens are due for some help. Michelle even asks him to join her at the same hospital where they can wage the fight together. And she mentions how, quote, professionals there could help him with his depression and that they can then mutually support each other. See, now that's information I haven't heard other places, Phelps. You know, if we can toot our own horn here at CTL. You know, when I saw that, yeah, I felt the same way. It's like, I hadn't heard that in this very high-profile case. Uh, That information there doesn't fit into the villain narrative. And it's so damn important in a case like this, as you will see. 
As Michelle enters rehab for anorexia, she reaches out to Conrad again, trying once more to get him treated. If you came into the hospital with me, quote, it would be so good for you and we would get through our issues together. Think about it. You aren't going to get better on your own. You know it no matter how many times you tell yourself you are, end quote. The texts they share over the course of their relationship, a lot of it is Conrad screaming out for help, though not in an open, straightforward manner. I think the one problem here neither could have known is that Conrad had met someone who was suffering as much as he is, and that person, no matter who it is, can never help him the way he needs to be helped. Even at this young age, I think Michelle was becoming aware of this. You can commiserate, but at some point when you're down this far, you have to find professional help. In court documents, when Michelle mentions this idea, Conrad, quote, rebuffs her encouragement, quote, and the tenor of their communications changed, end quote. Conrad didn't approve of her suggesting he get professional help, apparently. Near the time of his death, Conrad once again tells Michelle he is suicidal and suggests this to her, quote, we should be like Romeo and Juliet. The underlying meaning, obviously, is that they are hopelessly in love. No one understands or accepts them, so they should exit the world together. And something must have changed because Michelle replies, quote, I'd love to be your Juliet, end quote. Conrad texts back, asking if she knows what happens at the end of Romeo and Juliet, and Michelle becomes angry if we are to take all caps in a text as anger when she responds. Fuck no, we are not dying. She then goes on to tell him that she doesn't think the suggestion is all that funny. Yeah, I guess she didn't get to that part in English class yet, huh? (laughs) From the night of Conrad's suicide through that next morning, people became alarmed when they couldn't get hold of him. Michelle sends several texts to his mother. On that night, Michelle texts, do you know where he is? To a friend who you'll hear next reading it, Michelle texts this. He called me and I heard like muffled sounds and some type of motor running and it was like that for 20 minutes and he wouldn't answer. I think he killed himself. Days later, she texts this. Again, here's that friend reading the text. Thank you. So I've just been having really emotional and difficult nights. The nighttime is when all the thoughts of Conrad come. Like I think about him in the day too, but nighttime was like our time where we would stay up until 2 a.m. talking. And I just feel so alone without him. And I text him, but he never replies. And I have all these flashback thoughts of when I was talking to him on the phone when he killed himself. And I just think about hearing his cries and I just panic and have like panic attacks from it. Every time I see a car alone in a parking lot, I get freaked out and anxious because I feel like they're using carbon monoxide to do the same thing and I can't be left alone in a car or I'll lose control. Michelle asks Conrad's mom the day after she knows he killed himself. Quote, did you call the police yet? End quote. Now, I'll say, this is a great example of the tone we lose in text-based communications. She could be prying for information or seriously worried. We just cannot tell from a text, right? Mm-hmm. She sends other texts as well that same day. But by then, Conrad's father is driven by the Kmart lot where he sees yellow police tape around Conrad's truck and knows something is wrong. Conrad has been found dead. 
As the months go by, Michelle makes suicide prevention her identity. The grieving girlfriend imploring people to get help if they feel depressed and suicidal. But is it out of sadness for her lost love? Or could it be guilt? Most suicides are fairly open and shut. But something is different about this one. Fairhaven police investigate and they become interested in several things. One is a journal Conrad kept and also his cell phone and laptop. His father, several days after Conrad's death, finds the journal and the passcodes to all the electronics. This opens up a hidden world not many, anyone in Conrad's day-to-day life, knew much about, mainly in regards to his relationship with Michelle. His parents believed up to that point, Michelle was just a friend, someone he met while on vacation and stayed in touch with. And I'll say this. Always give your passwords to someone or have them written down somewhere. It's clear from his journal that Conrad had a plan to die when he left the house and headed to the Kmart parking lot. He drove to his grandfather's to pick up the water pump, which he used to transport the carbon monoxide into the cab of his truck. And what he writes in his journal and a few suicide notes he left behind tell us something, not everything, about his state of mind. Quote, Dad, I'm sorry I wasn't the boy you wanted. Breaks my heart. To Michelle, he writes, keep strong in tough times. Our songs, listen to them, and remember me. He clearly planned on killing himself, or at least attempting to again. But he'd done this before, you know? I I mean, that's the thing about this case. This, This kid, he tried so many times and never fully followed through. It was his pattern. He wanted to go on living, but he just didn't know how. Yeah, I did some research here, Phelps, and up to 10% of people who've made suicide attempts before eventually do die by suicide. And in Conrad's case, he had made a plan, which is kind of one of the bigger alarm bells that families should look for when they're concerned about somebody. That's excellent information to have that we all should know. When Michelle shows up at Conrad's funeral, not many in his family even know who she is. Afterward, Michelle sends an email to his sister. Conrad did not kill himself because of bullying like everyone assumes. I know the real reasons. More emails follow. I pray every night that this is a bad dream and I'll wake up feeling happy and proud of myself and a good kid again. I see the world as a horrible place with a bunch of horrible people. There's a shortage of good, genuine people like you and me who care. This is where the attention-seeking starts coming into frame for me. Yeah. I mean, why the need to point to yourself here? This is where she starts to look guilty. Michelle is trying to insert herself into Conrad's life after his death. Michelle even tells Conrad's mother at one point not to blame herself, that it is not her fault. Several months after Conrad's death, as Michelle is standing outside school, a detective rolls up on her. I've reviewed Conrad's phone, he says. I know you were talking to him on the night of his death. Michelle says something to the effect of Conrad saying there was no one left who could help him. I was talking to him and the phone hung up, she tells the detective. The detective explains that he has a search warrant for her phone and she needs to hand it over. She waits for her father to pick her up, and the detective follows them home, where she finally gives up her phone and the password 
fucking fuck 47. Incredible. I love teenagers. In her phone, police see something more insidious than suicide. They see what they believe is a crime. Two weeks before Conrad took his life, he and Michelle were talking about ways he could die by suicide. She asks him about stabbing or hanging himself. Then, quote, why don't you just drink bleach? Conrad plays into her hand, and this goes back to our discussion of toxic relationships. Conrad starts searching websites that list the odds of success for various ways to kill yourself. He mentions carbon monoxide and helium gas, telling Michelle how depriving himself of oxygen is something of interest to him. One text, all caps, near June 30 says this, I want to die. Wow. So a couple of things. First, to your point about tone, we have no idea if there are sort of playing around, joking about some of this, or if it's all very serious throughout. Right. You know, right. here on Crossing the Line, we we make jokes about scumbags or other things, and that's how we process some of this stuff. We never joke about the victims, but using this gallows humor is one of the ways humans process difficult things. I, I just want to stop you there and say, you know, I hadn't thought of that, and, and, and you really made me think mm. differently. Mm-hmm. So one other thing is nagging at me. You mentioned that there were suicide notes. I did. Michelle actually asks if he will leave a note for her. Wow. And he says yes. Okay. Several days after that exchange, Conrad makes the decision. He is ready. Michelle texts him in all caps, you keep putting it off. I mean, look, the context of that, it's all caps. I look at it as she's angry and she's saying, you keep putting it off, dude. Follow through this time. That's what I read there. Right. And that's the heart of our issue is she could be saying, you keep putting it off or you keep putting it off. Like, maybe you don't really want to do this. I think the caps is the tell all, though. The caps, because we all know that caps means angry. If I'm texting caps to my kids... Don't ask me for money again. I mean, yeah, it's intense. But, you know, this is where that that communication is lost. We don't get the inflection. We can get what we presume the inflection to be. We don't know. We don't, don't, don't know. But that's um, what makes this case so interesting because there's a hundred different ways you could go. Yeah. Yeah. When cases come down to intention mm -hmm. and motive, you know, it's really hard to get into the minutia of what people are thinking. Yep. As each day passes leading up to that night in the Kmart parking lot, Michelle seems to crank up her eagerness to get him to go through with it. She's either egging him on in a major way or just being totally, completely oblivious to how tortured and depressed he actually is. And it's worth noting here that she herself just came out of a treatment center. From what are 350 plus pages of text police recover, here is another one. Carbon monoxide is the best option. You better not be bullshitting me and saying you're going to do this and then purposely get caught. See that? That's what Michelle texted to Conrad. Yeesh. A kid prone to depression, prone to suicide, in a bad, bad state. And then she asks him about their relationship, a relationship that had not been consummated. We know because Conrad even asks her if they can have sex. And she says, at some point, they probably will. 
The next text tells us where this relationship actually is. Michelle asks Conrad if she can call herself his girlfriend after he kills himself, to which he replies, yes. Yikes. Also, I don't know if this is just like having been raised religiously, but I remember being terrified that I was going to die before having sex. It was like a fear that I had for years. I would say that was being raised religiously. Right? Yeah. Yeah. My husband, he had the same fear. They like really put the fear of God in you, so to speak. I grew up rough. I did not have that same fear. (laughs) That's all I'll say about that. I did not have that same fear. I feel like you're about to tell us a story about an older woman. You went to go work on her farm for the summer and she taught you the ways of the world. I'm pretty close to that. It wasn't a farm. (laughs) Great. It was summer. (laughs) That's all we need to know. There's a lot of alcohol. (laughs) Then the night in question arrives. Conrad makes it to the Kmart parking lot. It is important to him where he parks because he expresses how concerned he is that someone might see him and stop it. So he carefully chooses where he believes he can get away with it. Phelps, even though I'd heard about this case, I never realized he was in a Kmart parking lot when this happened. I just, in my mind, he was out in the woods somewhere or something like that. But, you know, if he's in a parking lot with shoppers nearby... Do you think maybe he wanted someone to see him and stop him, even if it was subconsciously? I think that's another great point. It's just such a hard story. It is a hard story. And, you know, every time I look at it, I think this kid did not want to die. He just wanted to get away. He wanted to just leave. Yeah. Yeah. Get away from his pain. There's a much more sinister reason he chose that spot, though. Okay. And I'll get to more of that later. Michelle and Conrad hop on the phone and start talking. So he's in the Kmart parking lot. He's in his truck. They're on the phone. They're talking. And this is when police believe Michelle convinces Conrad to follow through and that she is the one who ultimately takes his life. We'll be right back. I want to say this here. If you or somebody you know is struggling and suicide is on your mind, please, please, please reach out to someone you know or call these three simple numbers, 988. It's new, 988. You can access help or just talk with someone 24 hours a day by dialing those three numbers. It's confidential and private. Phelps, I also found that if you even search things about suicide, specifically the word suicide on Google, the 988 number will come up for the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. And you can chat with someone online if you prefer. Yeah, it's a big thing now. Mm -hmm. It's, It's a great idea. Yeah. Back to the case. Here is something else noteworthy. Leading up to the day Conrad kills himself and the following day, Michelle texts several of Conrad's friends. On July 10, Michelle tells one of his friends that Conrad is missing and nobody can find him. But just 10 minutes before this text, she is texting with Conrad. She asks another friend on July 11 if a portable generator can kill someone. On July 12th, the night Conrad follows through, a friend texts Michelle to ask if Conrad has been located. 
Michelle texts Conrad almost immediately after and says this, let me know when you're gonna do it. Then replies back to that same friend, no, not yet. I'm losing all hope he is alive. Jesus. So there's a pretty distinct timeline here. Absolutely, there is. And it's very telling. That day, as Michelle and Conrad text, it's clear that Michelle is intensely involved in making sure he follows through. Conrad begins to talk about not wanting to do it, wanting to live, and once again, backing out. This is a kid who is terribly confused, doesn't fully want to end it. But then Michelle texts him this. You just need to do it, Conrad, or I'm going to get you help. To that, Conrad replies, I'm going to do it today. Then Michelle applies pressure, texting this. Do you promise? I promise, babe. He texts back. Where do I go? You can't break a promise. Go in a quiet parking lot. So effectively, she helped him choose the Kmart parking lot. All we have is what Michelle tells a friend of hers about the phone calls to Conrad that night, July 12th. There are no recordings of those calls. But in those texts, she sends to her friend explaining the calls. Michelle essentially implicates and makes herself culpable in Conrad's death, texting this to her friend. I could have stopped him. And that's all cops needed. I could have stopped him implies that she didn't, which implies what? Guilt. Mm-hmm. She doesn't stop there. Michelle goes on via text about what happened that night. She says Conrad became overwhelmed by the fumes inside his truck and actually stepped out of the truck, once again thwarting his own effort to die, just as he had so many other times before. Then he tells Michelle he's scared, that he's not sure this is the right choice. I have to believe the kid is crying and confused and overwhelmed with fear and guilt and sadness at this moment. Michelle explaining to her friend what happens next, texts this. I fucking told him to get back in. I could have stopped him, but I fucking didn't. All I had to say was, I love you. That next morning, Michelle texts Conrad after not hearing from him all night. Did you do something? Conrad, I love you so much. Please tell me this is a joke. I'm so sorry I didn't think you were being serious. I need you to please answer me. I'm going to get you help, and you're going to get better, and we will make it through this. So do you think she's covering her tracks here, or is she seriously like, oh shit, what did I do, and concerned for him? You're not on the phone while someone is actively killing themselves, telling them to get back in if you're like shocked the next morning. What I think here is, yeah, I think she's saying, holy shit. What have I done? And now Uh I'm going to try to get out of it. Yep. That's what I think that is. And of course, that's the heart of the matter, right? Text after text reads like Michelle thought he was serious. In one, she goes into great detail about carbon monoxide. Quote, yeah, it will work. If you emit 3,200 ppm of it for five or 10 minutes, you will die within half an hour. You lose consciousness with no pain. You just fall asleep and die. You can also just take a hose and run that from the exhaust pipe to the rear window in your car and seal it with duct tape and shirts so it can't escape. You will die within like 20 or 30 minutes, all pain-free. The other thing too, Phelps, is like, this is all premeditation. This is not like the day of he called her and she talked him through it. They've been talking about this for months. Well, 
I mean, this is a complicated case. We both agree on that. But what you just read, that's a blueprint to kill yourself. That's what that right. is. Right. There's obviously a lot we could not fit into just one episode in this case. There are, as I said, 350 plus pages of text from the court record. We've only scratched the surface. Only Michelle knows exactly what happened and her true intentions. Right. Michelle was charged with involuntary manslaughter. She pled not guilty, asked for a bench trial, which means a judge decides the case, not a jury. And we all have that right. And in 2017, her case began. She chose not to take the stand in her own defense. Most of us have seen these pictures of her in court. And I don't know, there's something very creepy about her. She's got these like empty eyes and her hairline is like just too far back. I I think she's a creep. I just see a girl who is a teenager who has lost herself and she committed a horrible crime. And there's no rhyme or reason for why she did what she did. Maybe just because she's mentally ill as well. I, I don't know, but she committed a crime. There's no doubt about that. I mean, there were questions about the medications Michelle was taking at the time. Her father brought that up later. Did those medications affect her judgment, the choices she made? I I mean, that's, you know, I'm not even going to get into that. Michelle was convicted, the judge finding her guilty over what is called failure to act. She was sentenced to 15 months jail time and five years probation. In January 2020, at 23 years old, Michelle was released three months early. According to the conditions of that release, Michelle Carter can never profit from her story. Wow, and a lot of other people are. Right. The story is now a scripted series on Hulu, a drama called The Girl from Plainville. HBO aired a documentary about the same case in 2019 titled I Love You, Now Die. Man, I couldn't watch that one. The title alone. Conrad's family issued a public statement. Catherine? July 12th, 2014, our lives were forever changed and the world lost a beautiful soul. Michelle Carter is the reason for that. She was the only person who could have saved him. She didn't. In fact, she was on the line with him as he was dying, moaning in pain, gasping for last breaths. Who could do that? She did, and we'll never really know why. I kind of understand this family's pain, and I do think this young girl at least knew the consequences of those texts she was sending. I think she was sane enough, smart enough to know better. Near this time, another young woman, a Boston College student, In Young Yu, 21, went on trial for basically the same thing, though prosecutors allege that the wanton and reckless psychological abuse you perpetrated against her boyfriend— Alex Ertula, 23, over a long period of time, forced him to jump off a bridge and kill himself. In December 2021, Yu pled guilty to manslaughter and accepted a sentence of 10 years probation. Yu was also barred from profiting from her case, which got only a smidgen of the media coverage that Michelle's case garnered. Again, that number to access help and just talk with someone 24 hours a day confidentially and privately is 988. I'll be back here next week with another case. Be safe, be aware, and please, please reach out to someone if you need help. Do it for the people who love you. See you next week. 
Sources for today's episode come from Commonwealth v. Carter, Supreme Judicial Court Decision, Commonwealth v. Carter, Harvard Law School Case Brief, Teen's Family, Girl is Not the Villain, by Owen Boss, Boston Herald, March 1, 2015, Inside the True Story of Michelle Carter, the Teen in the Texting Suicide Case, by Rose Minitaglio, L, March 29, 2022, Here's What Really Happened Before Conrad's Death, by Genzia Burgos, Stylecaster.com, March 29, 2022. The Girl from Plainville by Jesse Barron, Esquire, 8-23-17. Crossing the Line is a production of iHeartRadio. It's executive produced by me, M. William Phelps, and iHeart executive producer, Catherine Law. Special thanks to producer Rose Bacci and EP Christina Everett. Audio engineering, original music, and sound design by Matt Russell. Additional thanks to Will Pearson at iHeartRadio. The series theme, number 444, is written and performed by Thomas Phelps and Tom Mooney. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.